Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast about Deep Space Nine by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We are really close to episode 200, Adam. Oh, I didn't know that. What episode is this? I think this is 197 of, of the Greatest Generation. We'll have to do something special for 200. Yeah. And we may we have to, given our the board gamification of what season two is going to be. Yeah. Oh, we are fucked here because we should have it ready to go for the beginning of season two, right? Oh, we which really is technically should. the end of this episode. We really should. We might have to record the ep and then record the end. Come back and record time. the end. Yeah, I think that that's going to be what ends up happening. Adam, we were talking about the weather before we got on the horn today. Yeah. What are you what are you looking at up there in Seattle, Washington, where you live? If you were to guess any time between November and May about <laughs> what the weather was going to be like in Seattle, you'd be a winner just about every time if your guess was forty five degrees and rainy. And that's what <laughs> it is today. Hey. See, that's kind of like my that's my weather sweet spot, personally. I feel like that's like what I'm wired for. I spent a semester studying abroad in Dublin, Ireland, and uh, that's what we were kind of looking at a lot of the time, and I really liked it. I have a real hard time finding someone's weather sweet spot. <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of guys think it's a myth. <laughs> Let me tell you what not. I have learned, Ben. It's not hail. <laughs> Try as I might to think that it's hail. It is not. <laughs> what's um, it like up there for you i should say down there because clearly i'm above you up in seattle yeah you're, what's it like you're in LA? above a lot of things up there in seattle yeah uh i'm uh i'm recording this episode on an 80 degree day and uh, earlier this 80 week, degrees just, on february 1st yeah Earlier this week, I posted just like a screen grab of the app on my phone that tells me what the weather is going to be with a uh, fuck this shit emoji. <laughs> and uh, I was it was met with a lot of confusion because I think most people who think that hot weather is good don't understand that there are also other people that know that hot weather is bad. I think I might be one of those people who, who likes the hot weather. And- Let's swap lives, Adam. <laughs> We're going to find out what happens when two unpopular podcasters switch lives for a week. It's not wife swap. It's life swap. You guys can move down and and your wife can start studying for the bar. Mm. And uh, move up there. My my wife will start uh, working at a a major corporation. You'll just be damp all the time. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just be damp and happy. I don't, I don't think either of us would like that. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, you're in the perfect situation for me because I want to come and visit. All the benefits of a life in L.A. with none of the permanence. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it's, the you permanence it? of it is, is, really, uh, is really weighing on me right now. Has it been a thing? A serious yeah. thing? 
Well, <laughs> I I went to a I've uh, started to see a therapist, and I went to like my first session the other day, and um, I think it's been like I've, something I've been putting off for a lot longer than I should have. But there was like an entire year of oh well, I'm moving to another state soon, so I shouldn't start with somebody because it takes a long time to like get get up and running with a therapist. And, is it like uh, seeing a doctor where your chart gets sent to a new therapist or do you just start fresh? Uh, I think that there is not much in the way of like metrics that they can make out of talk therapy. So mm. you really do have to like catch them up on who you be and what is troubling you. Mm. And I started going down the list of reasons I had thought of or why I should probably be in therapy over the last 10 years. <laughs> That's sort of a great question by a doctor, right? Like, yeah. why Why do you think you're here? Yeah, exactly. And uh, by, by the end of the session, she was like, wow, this is a lot. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, nothing super major. Like, no one thing is totally out of control but uh i think my accessories are a little too major for you enough that there's a lot of uh straws on this here camel back i can only think of a few times when hearing those words from a doctor would be a good thing how is this game gonna work i was looking at shoots and ladders the rules are basically you like you roll a dice and then you get to go that number of spaces and if it's a ladder you climb up to the next and if it's a shoot you fall down to whatever it's connected to well, Shoots and Ladders was just the first game that came to mind that had that format, but it could yeah. be just as easily Monopoly or, or any other game based on turns and moves and dice. But the idea that really sounded appealing to me was, was I think someone responded with just a list of things that the squares could be that we could possibly yeah. land on. Yeah, because there's a hundred squares in Shoots and Ladders, yeah. and it's also, I believe, a game that has passed into the public domain. Oh, so we would so we could just a... steal a board and repurpose it. Yeah, but I also think that like it would be like it would be really cool if there was a board that had like illustrations of things that we talk about on our show. You know, right? Yeah, I agree. Maybe maybe what we'll do is we'll come up with what the squares are. And then uh, make like a we could, we could make like a Google sh- spreadsheet that is publicly viewable that shows the the grid of squares and where you and I are respectively. But then maybe uh, we could throw it to the community if people want to take a stab at like drawing it or or organize a crowdsource where different people get different squares to draw. That would be really cool. I would argue maybe even more than half of the squares being nothing. Yeah. Yeah, like, it should be a unique experience when one or both of us lands on on a thing. I think that seems that seems like the right way to go because it turns the show into something else, and yeah. uh, I like the show as it is. I'm a I'm a show originalist. <laughs> You're the Antonin Scalia <laughs> of Greatest Generation. I think everyone knows that I'm the Scalia of the genera- of of the next. Fuck, you said it right the first time. <laughs> I think everyone knows that, Ben. Does that make me the Clarence Thomas? Because I just sit here going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I feel like I might be the Thomas in that I so rarely laugh at your jokes, according to the the people who write in. Oh, Thanks for telling my me that also. are hurt, Adam. Yeah. Jeez. 
I, I just happen to be a stealthy laugher. That's all. Uh, should we <laughs> see? See, just then I was laughing a lot. You'd never mm, know it. Yeah, a, a hearty laugh from Adam Pranica never fails to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> a hearty blank from Adam Pranica. That, yeah. That's just uh, something you could use anytime. This space intentionally left blank. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to get into the episode here? This is the last episode of season one. We've did it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the end of season one of Deep Space Nine, Ben. It's episode 19. In the hands of the prophets. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. We start with... O'Brien trying to talk Keiko. Bollocks! Into taking one of his popsicles. Try one. You'll like it. And uh, she is not into it. Too early for me. As is her way. Uh, I guess she's back from... There There was like some some explicit talk about how she was taking the school kids to Bajor for a field trip, right? At the beginning of the last episode, or was that like a couple episodes ago? They're doing a lot, or they have done a lot of exposition about where she be at the beginning of a lot of episodes that she's absent in. They, yeah, they like, don't as, give the corresponding, why is she here, information when she <laughs> d- when she does show up. Also, like, Sirak Lofton is a pre-credits name. Like, he is, he is a main cast character, yeah. and he's missed several episodes, and they've never been like... Jake is back on Earth visiting his grandfather or anything like that. It's a great paycheck if you can get it for Sirach Lofton. Yeah. He's uh, laughing all the way to the bank. Yeah. Well, uh, she One person won't... who's not laughing, Ben, is, uh, is Keiko at the idea of O'Brien having a work wife. Yeah. O'Brien's going on and on about Neela and how great she is to work with, and it's pretty innocent stuff she's even taught me a thing or two it's the sort of excitement you have when you uh when you meet anyone new that and that you hit it off with like right it's good to work with a competent person and keiko being of varying amounts of competent uh in a number <laughs> of areas <laughs> uh, takes great umbrage with this be careful who you share your jump job with keiko has found a job where she's the boss and doesn't really report to anybody so uh, she doesn't really have any, like, she, she doesn't really have to rise to any particular standard. At the end of this scene, she makes a wisecrack that could be construed in no other way than comparing O'Brien's dick to a jum pop. Yeah. If that's the truth, he's got a pretty chody looking dick, right? Yeah. A, a pointy chode at that. Yeah. Like, you want it to at least be, like, pretty blunt at the end if if you're chody. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a hell of a flare on that base. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we cut to the classroom where Keiko's teaching space butthole <laughs> to the assembled students, yeah. and uh, and it's it seems like what could be any other day in the classroom. Uh, the kids are participating. Nog is not there for some reason. I guess he's still homeschooling with Jake, visiting his grandfather on Earth. Oh, we know that? No. <laughs> I'm just saying that... His grandfather's birthday party? Yeah, that's always the explanation. <laughs> Grandfather on Earth. 
Um, yeah, the butthole class is uh, going pretty well. The kids are paying attention. You need to get your parents to sign a permission slip when uh, when there's the week of space butthole curriculum <laughs> going on in school, I think. And then maybe that's why that's why Nog isn't there. I don't think Quark's going to sign off on that. Yeah, yeah. Quark is like, I, you can learn plenty about a butthole right here in the bar. <laughs> Just go up to one of the hollow suites. There's there's more butthole based material than uh, than Keiko could ever teach you. Take a bar stool next to Morn. <laughs> I'll tell and, you about uh, all about the birds and the bees and the hammers. <laughs> Jake is a bit of a teacher's pet. He's the only kid in class raising his hand and engaging with the with the material. Unclear if that's just because he loves butthole or if he feels pressure as the station commander's son to perform. But uh, he's in the midst of uh, answering a question when Nurse Ratchet walks in to the classroom. Yeah. She basically walks in holding a picket sign and is like, (laughs) don't mind me. I'm just here for things. Uh, the great Louise Fletcher. Yeah, one, one of the of, greats. Uh, one of the great actors. You talk about gravitas. She's got it in spades. She's got it in spades, and she plays she plays person you love to hate better than almost anybody. I want to ask you about some costume philosophy here with her wardrobe specifically. Yeah. Her hat looks like her nose. (laughs) And is that like an overarching costume philosophy of the show? Like, is that why Klingon wardrobe is pointy and and you'll see Bajorans with with the scalloped hat look as often as you do? I think that she's just a big fan of Australian opera. Yeah. How could you not? (laughs) The one, the one people that have really put their fingerprints on opera is the Australians. Right. Famous for their opera. <laughs> uh, have you ever yeah, seen she... Crocodile Dundee, the opera? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who wrote the libretto on that? Matthew Barry, that's who. Yeah, she takes, she takes a lot of umbrage at the way Keiko is teaching Butthole, because to the Bajorans... The butthole is a sanctified place that is the house of their gods. And Nurse Ratchet is a real hardliner on this. Like she she doesn't see it as like, you know, we we treat them as prophets and uh you know, maybe they are in fact aliens, but you know, like they they did make this wormhole and we consider it to be the temple in our in our belief structure. She is like they are gods, it is a temple. Calling it anything but a temple is insulting to the butthole. Yeah, I mean, Keiko's sort of on team non-denominational butthole, and uh, and this woman is clearly orthodox butthole. Yeah, like, Keiko is pretty polite at first, but the conversation devolves into, you're not teaching you're not teaching these Bajoran kids what they should be taught, and Keiko's like... I'm teaching them the science on the matter. You guys can teach them your spiritual beliefs uh, on your own time. That's not my job. You know, and then Nurse Ratchet's like, it is your job. You're corrupting the minds of these children. If you you would just at least teach the controversy. And Keiko's like, bitch, you don't even have a visitor's pass. (laughs) 
How did you even get into this school? Did you check in at the front office? Yeah. You're supposed to. <laughs> you have to fill out that half half piece of paper that they made on the Ditto machine that they're still using that says what the make and model of your car is if you parked in the school parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. And Vedic Wynn is the proselytizing figure of this conflict. And yeah. this is this is a fairly familiar type of person. If uh, you go to a rock concert or <laughs> if you go to a sporting event or if you really go to anything where a large group of people groups of people are assembled. Uh, if you go to a corner near my house on a Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is being set up as a inherit the wind who gives a shit edition. After the theme song, we find O'Brien fiddling around with his tools and he's hanging out with Neela trying to fix a, a compartment. And he uh O'Brien's a guy that that observes strict tool hygiene. Like yeah. in a modern factory environment, you're uh you're checking in and checking out tools, and you'll see this a lot in these environments. Like people will walk around with big key rings full of checks with their name on them, <laughs> and this is a real thing. Like you'll put a check in where you take the tool. That way, the person with the tools knows where the tool is. Yeah. And this is not a thing that happened with O'Brien's tools. I don't misplace my tools. And he is none too happy when he sees like he's got that pelican case with the nice shadow box cutout of the tool and there's nothing in there. Yeah, he does a little engineer explaining to Neela about how he's not he's not the dude that is misplacing tools. And uh so it's really it's really burning his toast that that he doesn't know where this thing is. Neela by the way has definitely been in the last like 3 or 4 episodes. She's you know, she is a character that they have established. She's had speaking roles for at least a few of them. And, yeah, uh, a fairly unique thing for a Star Trek program. But uh, she was originally supposed to go back several more episodes than even the Neela that we get here. She was recast. Really? She was one actor early on, I think in the Pup episode. Oh. Which is an episode I don't remember. The, the Forsaken, was that it? No, uh, it was, I believe uh, it was the Foreskin. Right. And uh, and they had some sort of falling out with the actor, is what I read, and so they recast wow. her, and then this is this is who we have here, this Neela, as portrayed she kept by eating all else. the M and M's out of the trail mix at the craft services table. Yeah, <laughs> can't do that. Got to save yeah. some for the gang. Yeah, this sort of establishes that our B storyline is the mystery of where did the tool go. I love the pitch for this in the room. Like, yeah. <laughs> now we've got this religious fundamentalist A story. What do you say we do its exact opposite? <laughs> Miles O'Brien just can't find his tools. Where are my tools? <laughs> Cut to Neela. Where'd your tool go? <laughs> Rack into O'Brien. Coming this summer, a comedy that starts wacky and gets grisly. <laughs> Miles O'Brien in Bloody Hell. Bollocks! <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, the 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 mystery B plot definitely like gets gets uh, scarier and scarier as it goes on, but it really it starts and it's just like um if you are as a television show are challenging me to keep watching, try again. Yeah, and the reason why is like you could watch this episode on mute and know exactly who the bad guy is <laughs> and and be able to tell with startling certainty what happens at the end even. It is not hiding anything, mostly because it it sort of walks Neela in and out of scenes throughout the episode that she really has no business being in. Right. Yeah, she's always uh, exchanging significant looks with other people who are established to be bad as though we're not going to notice. Yeah. Yeah, so this Vedic win situation is is a problem that everyone can see coming. Cisco... Why didn't they just call her Vedic Ratchet? That really rolls off the tongue. That would have been nice. It'd help us keep it straight. Kira sort of comes out and rides for Vedic Win. She's like, yeah, you know what? She's got some interesting points. There's so many Bajoran kids on the station. It's only right that uh, that a Bajoran gets a Bajoran-specific education. And Cisco's like, well, you know, part of this whole project, W slash R slash T, Deep Space Nine, is like finding common ground. And we're not going to find common ground if we're doing... Uh, Brown versus Board of Education of our classrooms. Like, let's let's keep the one classroom. No one's happy with Keiko as the teacher. That is the one thing that we're we're both in strict agreement on. <laughs> it's the curriculum that we are arguing about here. Uh, but I still maintain that uh, it should be one classroom for all. The idea is like you teach your science, and the religious institutions will teach their version of events, but when they're inco- incompatible, like, you know, creationism or whatever. And it, it is sort of implied here that the Bajorans don't have a Big Bang and evolution-based theory of creation <laughs> in their religion, which is like, I man, I was like really on board for Bajoran spirituality a few episodes ago, and this episode makes me hate it. Yeah. So often it's the messenger for me, though, too, right? Like, there's right. nothing that's as bi- that's a bigger turnoff than a proselytizer to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, it's like I I would be into them, but their fans are so obnoxious. Yeah. Version of a religion. Yeah. Cisco says something really interesting here, which is like the whole idea of Bajorans and Federation occupying the same station is to sort of audition them for entry into the Federation, right? And, like, if this were a Vulcan station that Federation people were occupying, like, wouldn't this be the same problem? Like, the Vulcans are logic orthodox, and yet they get along just fine. And it seems to me like they, those, I, those governing philosophies are are just as incompatible as uh, stones in a butthole <laughs> are to to the Keiko science curriculum. There's been a couple of times where, like, Vulcans that... I mean, there was that episode where that, that Vulcan spy lady was building the, building the, the weapon that makes you, makes you die if you're not dispassionate yeah. and rational. Yeah, I guess we've seen that before. You're right. Yeah, but 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think I I honestly think like this is a this is a thing for the show that is good because it sets up this like really detestable villain, but it it's also like disappointing because I I I kind of had the Bajorans as being a little bit cooler about how the cosmos works than they turn out to be here. Yeah, and like I never I didn't like. I, I didn't dislike Kaiopaka at all. Like she was sure. yeah. chill as fuck. Like I would I would totally ride for whatever she's putting forward as a as a spiritual practice. Kaiopaka really felt like a cool pope, like the pope that drinks. Yeah. Like like who would have a beer with you? Like right. I'm gonna wash some feet and have a beer. Like that's Kaiopaka. And uh and Vedic Wynn is just not like that at all. She she really considers herself to be the defender of the faith. And she thinks it needs defending as much from Federation as it did from Cardassia or anybody else. When- Let's talk for a second about like how you establish protagonist and antagonist specifically in this episode. Because you mentioned something that caught my attention a moment ago about like establishing Vedic Win as the bad guy, where it really doesn't make the case that what like, there's no corresponding case for Keiko to be the good person. Keiko is only riding for the control of her classroom and the way and the reason that she should be teaching whatever curriculum she chooses. But she never comes out and says that my way is right. And I kind of wish that they did. Like, they, they never make the case for her side other than, than professional, you know? Like, right. I wanted to hear her philosophical side. And I wanted those to be more opposed than just, uh, than just making Win into an extremist. It's one and done. Like she says, you can teach that stuff in your own, in, in your own spaces to your own people. But like the reason Keiko shouldn't be teaching Bajoran spirituality is also that she doesn't believe it, and also like the idea that the Bajorans have a monopoly on truth is insane. And if the Bajorans want to be in the Federation, they should be able to abandon that kind of thinking. And maybe this episode suffers from something that we suffer from in public discourse, which is the idea that because somebody holds something as a religious belief, you can't interrogate that or criticize it. And, and therefore, like, it kind of, like, brings all discussions to a halt. Like, there's, like, the reason your Israel-Palestine conflict is so intractable is because there are fundamentally incompatible religious beliefs on either side of it that really can't be reconciled because they are religious beliefs. Right. Right, and they, and much in the, <laughs> much like the Israel-Palestine conflict, the episode itself does not really go all the way in adjudicating those factors. It is just whether you are for or against Vedic wins deal. Yeah, the prophets definitely don't weigh in on this one, which would be helpful both in the Israel-Palestine thing and also here. <laughs> like if a if 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 the godhead could come out of the clouds and settle the score, that'd be nice. Also, Kaiopak is still alive. Does she not get to be Kai anymore because she is on that other planet with the people who can't die? 
Yeah, fighting fighting with those guys with the bad haircuts. That's probably that's a pretty bad deal for Kai Opaka, right? Like, it's not like they couldn't get her on the FaceTime and do some conference <laughs> calls, right? Hey, listen, a couple of questions. <laughs> Something came up at the space station, and we'd just love to get your opinion on it. Pretty raw deal. Does the Kai have infallibility the way the Pope does? I don't know. I would like to know more about that. Would you like to know more? She's pretty infallible to me. I dig her whole deal, especially compared to Vedic Wynn. Yeah. Cisco goes down to like, like, you know, because Keiko comes and complains to Cisco, and he's like, all right, I'll go talk to her. And he goes down to the uh, Bajoran church, and Vedic Wynn is in there uh, having having a meditate or something. And she does the whole thing where she, like, gets her hand on his ear and tells him that he's a disbeliever and... Uh, tells him that she was initially very disappointed that the person that the prophets selected to be their emissary was uh, not a not even a Bajoran, much less a believer, and uh, and that Opaka like had had admonished her for that. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh... The idea of a power vacuum making people ambitious in an ugly way uh, rang very true here to me. Like, yeah. Like as part of Vedic Wynn's backstory, like she seems fairly transparently into the idea of being Kai, but also like talking out the other side of her mouth about like, oh, it's just what the prophets want, whatever. Like I'm I, I'm at their mercy, but but really in in action... Indeed, uh, she is not leaving it up to the prophets. She's great at at the politics of what she is. Yeah. What are you doing? Exactly. Well, Adam, as interesting as all that is, let's check back in with where is Chief O'Brien's socket wrench? The socket wrench thing is not just a gag because it's actually a little bit of a dangerous tool. It's like if someone took a a flamethrower out of a <laughs> toolbox. Like, this thing could do some damage and could fuck some shit up on the station. Could even kill someone. Yeah, so they got to find it. And uh, fortunately, f- the Federation makes its tools out of a different material than the Cardassians make their space stations. So they run a search for Tritanium, and they're, they get some hits. It's, uh, it's Neela and, and O'Brien, and they get, they get a hit in the tool locker, <laughs> and then they also get another faint one in, like, a power conduit. So they... Shut down the power conduit and like go go crawling through it. It's like a Jeffrey's tube, and they find this tool like melted onto the floor. Titanium composite, all right. Looks like our missing interlock. Yeah, like if if a tool could could bleed, this is sort of what it looks like, right? Whatever it was, it's been pretty well cooked. And uh, it looks like there's some some biological residue in this molten pile. Yeah, that O'Brien picks up on his his tricorder. Yeah, so they're gonna figure out what that is. Meanwhile, he's gonna take Keiko out to a nice popsicle, 
And they go up to the popsicle stand and offers to buy her one. Says uh, She says she's not into it. And he says, okay, just one for me. And the guy says, no popsicle for you. The popsicles have changed on the little stand on the counter. Yeah. And did you notice the one in the middle is just a dong? Like, <laughs> it it is... <laughs> It could be nothing else but just a big old fucking cock. Why did why did they have this popsicle continuity problem? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they're clearly they're clearly being used because like Nog eats them all the time. Yeah. Like and he and he actually like licks them and eats them. There there have to be a lot of these around. They're made out of something edible, is what yeah. you're saying. That's yeah, what I'm saying. I, I man. I really wanted to get the scene of O'Brien kicking the shit out of the good humor man. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking Bajoran that sells these these popsicles is like the most glum person. <laughs> he, he wears like dark, dour clothing and is, has a totally dour affect. Who sells popsicles and acts like that? It's the bookend to the scene that happens in the cold open, though. It's the same guy, except he's happy and nice. He's 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 jolly, good humor guy in the cold open, and and you see the contrast. You see what's happened to Keiko. Keiko's become a pariah, and you see her through good humor man's eyes. Wait, is he jolly in the cold open though? He's he's very friendly to O'Brien and Keiko when they're talking, but he's still wearing like the black velour turtleneck yeah i mean he's dressed for a funeral in both scenes did you happen to notice if there were googly eyes on that dong maybe it was odo (laughs) keeping an eye on the situation (laughs) oh no odo shows up you can't yeah you do see odo and the dong in the same room at the same time so yeah so there is they've preserved dong continuity here um well, they keep, uh, they, yeah, Odo, Odo prevents O'Brien from kicking the shit out of the good humor man, and he and Keiko continue their date by walking down the promenade, and they find Vedic Ratchet crowded outside the school with a, a bunch of Bajorans, and she's she's explaining to the, the Bajoran children and their parents that uh, she's here to do something about this problem, this Keiko-O'Brien problem. Your Honor, where is this leading us? What has it got to do with the State versus Bertram case? And she, uh, she kind of makes a show of extending an olive branch, right? It's like, I'll, like, why didn't, why don't we just agree that you don't teach anything W slash R slash T buttholes, and I'll back off. Like, I'll, like, I'm, I'm happy to back down on that count. And Keiko's like, yeah, but what about when we get to evolution and and etc. What then? Keiko is rightfully riding for the idea of of her agency over over her job and her classroom, and she's getting upset. Yeah, and Fedic- I don't have to run my my uh, lesson plans by the religious leaders of a planet that I don't even live on. Vedic Wynn does that fucking thing that makes me so angry, though. Like that that condescension of religious leadership which is like i forgive you for being angry at me like yeah like oh fuck you (laughs) uh it's so aggravating and then like at the conclusion of this argument she does that thing where she marches the protesters past keiko and miles like every student has to walk by them away from the classroom (laughs) in a very dramatic way 
I got a I got in an altercation at the dog park the other day where um I I take the dog to the dog park a couple of times a week usually and it's you know it's like it's a very fun place for him to go but he's also like not a huge fan of dogs that are much bigger than him so yeah. sometimes we get there and I take a look at the dogs that are in there and I say not today buddy yeah uh we went there this weekend and decided decided like the mix wasn't great but it was good enough uh but uh my wife had some treats in her purse so he kept coming over to like get some some treats and a, a bigger dog came up while he was like trying to get trying to pry some treats out of us and he kind of he kind of flipped out at this other dog mm-hmm. and uh it didn't turn into a fight but it like it got close and I like got him under control and I was putting the leash on him and we were getting ready to leave. And the owner of the other dog was like, was like, get out of here, get, get your damn dog out of here. Everybody was playing and it was fine. And your, your dog is too aggressive. And it was that your dog of- is too aggressive for <laughs> yeah. this dog park. <laughs> like what if you just kept running into Vichy Prince guy everywhere yeah, in all LA. over? <laughs> yeah. It was like, it was, it was totally that thing. My of like, standard oh. poodle does not fight anyone. Yeah, my like, poodle put, smokes cigarettes. Who put you in charge of this movie theater, Vichy French guy? And who put you in charge of the dog park? Right. Yeah. We have not. Uh, we took our dog to the dog park uh, last week, and the one, the one thing that happened from that experience was. Uh, we realized our dog was not very great at responding to commands. Like, yeah. Like, and that's not a good, that you can't have that in, in mixed company. And also our dog came back home and woke up very sore because I guess, uh, <laughs> I guess our dog does not run full speed for like 10 or 15 minutes at a time very often. And he was like limping almost. From being sore from running, and I was and I was like, "That's my dog, That's it me." <laughs> Real fun, low muscle tone dog. Yeah, really relate. Yeah, I mean, uh, this uh, a Wheaton Terrier has most of its weight on its front legs. It's very very front heavy. A top heavy boy. Yeah, yeah, and even like when he runs down the stairs, his back legs barely touch the stairs. He's yeah. like walking on his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to know a a three-legged dog who was missing one of his hind legs and uh to Was pee, he in the shit? <laughs> yeah, he was in he was in Nam. Uh, <laughs> to pee this dog would do a a handstand and just walk around on his two front paws for a while. Whoa. <laughs> and so he would just draw these like amazing snakes of piss all over the sidewalk. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Life Good finds stuff. a way. Yeah. So this is like boiling over and it's become a big enough problem that uh that it's Cisco's problem and it seems like uh it it sounds like the Bajoran kids have basically been totally pulled out of school so Jake has been attending classes with like handful of non-Bajoran kids that are left. And he's really he's really confused about the whole situation. And Cisco tells him about Galileo and like getting burned at the stake for 
advancing the heliocentric model. And uh, Jake's like, do you think they're going to burn Keiko? <laughs> and uh, Cisco's like, well, son, we can only hope. But <laughs> anyways, I got to I gotta fuck off to Bajor. Yeah, and he kind of pieces out. He gets <laughs> a runabout and he heads to Bajor. I love the idea that uh, the commander of the station can take a runabout anytime he wants. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a full tank of unleaded. He can mm-hmm. he can fucking he can fucking go. What he does is he visits his old pal Vedic Bareel, who is who is sort of like the cool college professor friend of his. Like yeah. that that just got into gardening. He's a real peacenik. <laughs> he also is the voice of the PBS show Frontline. Oh, that's not true, but I couldn't, like, once, I was like, this guy's voice is so familiar. It sounds yeah. like Frontline Narrator. Yeah. I, I I was ready to believe it, man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's, uh, Vedic Burial is more on the Opaka side of the spectrum in terms of, like, where he's coming from, W slash R slash T beliefs. Right. And, um, you know, like, when, like, w- We've had the conversation with Cisco about how, like, your interpretation of what the prophets are is totally a matter of perspective. Like, if if you've grown up believing that there are entities living in a palace in the sky that can see the future, like, the prophets kind of fit that description. And so it isn't totally insane to to, like, fit them into your belief system but you know we have a different belief system and we can understand them to be aliens that uh, built this this wormhole and like we can use it for one thing and they can use it for another thing and they live outside of time so they're hard to understand but that's what what we know them to be and uh, it doesn't seem like Baral is totally against that way of thinking but he also basically says like Doug, I am at the same level of my career as Wynn, and going to war with her now before the next Kai is picked is basically career suicide, so I'm going to have to sit this one out. I wish I could help you. When he says it's it's up to the prophets to decide his future, I believe him in a way that, I, that you just don't believe Vedic Wynn. Right. He's very live and let live about things. He's very yeah. circumspect. Yeah, what he means is it's up to Marcus Lemonis to decide his future. You are no longer the general manager. In addition, you have to take a pay cut. Yeah. To be quite honest about it, I was in a pay. I'm fucking a pay. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. I don't use the bucket anymore. After this, the continuing adventures of Neela and O'Brien move on. They're doing more investigation on Puddle of Metal and whether or not it may contain the remains of a dead guy. All signs point to yes, also. <laughs> yeah, their magic eight ball based investigation is starting to make it look like this is a foul play. And uh, they have a big McLaughlin group Issue one. here where the entire senior staff comes into the commander's office. And there's a really fun composition where you've got Bashir and Dax... Odo and Keiko and O'Brien all in the shot together. I really like that shot. Like I, I feel like you rarely get the lineup and profile like that on the show. Yeah, it definitely the, stuck out. 
it stuck out and it's also like it's also kind of like a hue curve like it it goes from blue to yellow hmm. stopping in the middle at red it's a really great looking shot and uh really stuck out and and it seems like they're starting to think that the two mysteries might be one mystery like the mystery of why uh, Vedic Wynn is here stirring shit up and the mystery of why did the Starfleet engineer disappear with the tool and get killed and uh, it's like it's revealed that he died of a beam weapon I guess they've like been able to determine based on the residual matter on on the tool that he was killed first and then melted they clearly don't have that same sensor apparatus that they have on the ship in Star Trek 6 where they shoot the mashed potatoes pot with a phaser <laughs> and, and, and every alarm on the ship goes off. Right. As you know, Commander Chekhov, no one can fire an unauthorized phaser aboard a starship. It feels like you could brandish and fire a beam weapon on Deep Space Nine and nothing's going to happen. Yep. It's going to sound like a blender going off at Quark's. The Cardassians were running a real different kind of kind of game. Yeah. Um, it's, it's in this scene and the next scene that it becomes clear that there's a real wedge being driven in between Kira and Cisco because Cisco is, as he always is, trying to kind of toe the Starfleet line and trying to investigate a murder and keep civil society of... of Deep Space Nine going, and she is real fired up about what uh, what Wynn is advocating for here. Cisco says all philosophies matter. You know, I'm not going to make the case, like, I'm not going to give special dispensation to Bajoran religious philosophy here, like, because I think, you know, I, I'm welcoming everyone onto this melting pot of a station. Like, I, I can't just do that. This is, this station's such a melting pot. One of our buddies is melted over there. <laughs> That's what we're going for, Kira. Such a melting pot that only five kids are left at school, like that, <laughs> who aren't Bajoran. Yeah. So I guess there's that too. I guess they like have some indication that the killer was headed for one of the runabouts or, or whatever. Yeah. Was it like the the tool? You needed the tool to get on the runabout. That was the idea that I had about it, yeah. I'd guess somebody wanted to steal a runabout. Yeah, I can't remember. But uh, they, like, try to see if the if they can pick up the trail at runabout pad A, and they don't find any evidence. And uh, O'Brien and Neela talk about, like, the, the dude that got murdered and whether whether either of them knew him very well. And she's like, no, I don't really like... I don't really fuck with those Starfleet people that much. Like, you're pretty cool because... You're chill and you're my work husband, but uh, but the rest of those guys really like they really act like their shit doesn't stink and they're not fun to be around. Not like you, Miles. <laughs> you know your shit stinks. You don't put on any airs. She kind of, I feel like, wants his gym jaw here. Like she makes a pass at him. A little bit, yeah. It would have been interesting to see where this story went if that had come to fruition. Like. This is a dude in an unhappy marriage and a woman who, spoiler alert, has really gotten ratcheted into an extreme way of thinking. Uh, and I feel like if they if they got together right here, right now, like started rolling around on runabout pad A, the outcome might have been really different. O'Brien is constantly presented with a way out. <laughs> <laughs> 
And good on him. He just never takes it. Yeah, Neela passes up the gym jaw. Well, uh, O'Brien passes up giving her the gym jaw. Yeah. Miles be gym jaw, miles be quick. Miles go under the gym jaw stick. All around the gym jaw clock. Neela wants that gym jaw cock. <laughs> God, Adam, I didn't know you were such a huge dork. (laughs) Fun. Yeah. Okay, well, really thrown a curveball at my edit, but I'm up for anything, man. Basically, my only notes for the episode uh, were the (laughs) lyrics to the Jim Ja song (laughs) and who my Shimoda is. O'Brien runs this by Odo. He's like, Doug, like, bad news we went to the we went to the runabout and we didn't find any new evidence and odo's like that is evidence (laughs) because if if all the signs were pointing there then whoever did the whoever did the murder would have had to switch which runabout they're trying to get out on the runabout is the is the escape pod for this crime that we think may be in the works and they're talking it through talking over the over the details of what Odo is thinking about when in the background a flash of light and a and a banger on the station uh, bespeaks an explosion on the other side of the promenade. He goes to a lot of trouble to defeat the security net and then doesn't go through with his plan. School! And unlike the fireball that happens in the hallway at Bashir a couple episodes ago. Yeah. This is a practical, like, yeah. there is a it's, big fucking explosion and shit comes out of the hole. It looks great. Yeah. It yeah. is a really scary explosion. That is the right word because it because the way they frame it, the the fireball fills the frame in a really scary way. Like, And it's one of those explosions that no one survives. Like, they're outside of this classroom, and it is breathtakingly awful. Yeah. It is beginning of children of men level explosion. O'Brien, like, takes a couple of half steps towards the fi- the fireball, and is like, Keiko. Uh, <laughs> no. Uh, my, 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 wife, my wife may be in there. Someone <laughs> save her. Someone hold me back. I said, hold me back, damn it. (laughs) Odo's like, all right, buddy, I'll hold you back. (laughs) Then he puts on a little show of fighting to want to go in. But uh, yeah, turns out Keiko Keiko got away unscathed. Keiko is not dead. And we've got to live with that truth the rest of the episode. The fire has died down, and the uh, and the gang is in there, like taking a look at the at the situation, trying to see if there's anything salvageable. And um, it's a it's a total loss. Like the school is explode, <laughs> and um, it's a write off for the station. Yeah, yeah, that, they were well insured. It took the station like weeks to to like put tables up onto their legs and put <laughs> chairs underneath them. I don't know how long it's going to take to fix this classroom. <laughs> they should probably just like uh, 
use a cutting torch to like cut around it and send it out into space. Yeah. Yeah. Keiko's like, Hey, when can we uh, fix my, my thing up? And Cisco's like, well, most of the engineering crews are, are already detailed to cleaning the cum out of the <laughs> hollow suites. And we just don't really have the manpower for it right now. I'm really sorry. Are you saying that your classroom is more important than cum cleanup? <laughs> How dare you Keiko? Important work is happening all around us. <laughs> uh, Nurse Ratchet like runs up and is, you know, putting on a big show of being concerned for Keiko's safety. And the commander comes out and he's really not having any of it. And um, he's not brooking any fake sincerity here in these parts. Yeah, and 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 he he basically says some stuff that implies that the the kind of crusade that she's been on has inspired uh, if if it wasn't directly connected to this act definitely inspired it in whatever sick fuck did it <laughs> and uh and she really like takes great umbrage at that and and he's like no like you come on my station with your holier than thou like I'm better friends with the prophets with the prophets than you shit like, you haven't even met the prophets. I'm their emissary. Who do you speak for? An order that's barely listened to in your assembly. He's saying you're here trying to stir up controversy to make yourself look good. And uh, and I don't appreciate it. And she she staples Vedic Burial to Susko in this moment. He's as misguided as you are. That guy wouldn't even let me grab his ear earlier. <laughs> totally waxed off my reach-in. She gets real nasty here, man. She's she says that uh, Cisco lives in darkness with the Federation, and that uh, the Federation is here to drag Bajor into the darkness. This is the flip side of proselytizing, though. Like it is, uh, it is very rarely only my side is right. Come to my side. It is often equal parts. Your side is wrong, and you're going to hell. And that's really what Vedic Wynn rides for in this moment. She's like, you're unfit to be the emissary. You're choosing not to embrace my way of life. And that makes you not just a neutral party, but a bad person. Yeah, it's that thing, like, there's lots of people that are religious that are able to, like, coexist with people of other religions. And the second you get, like, too extreme about it, it becomes, like... Other religions are wrong, and those people are a like a threat to the holiness of the of the situation going on around me right and uh and so yeah, like she it's really an extremely weak position and a weak amount of a weak amount of faith to feel so easily challenged by another person's opinion that way definitely, and she acts in this moment like she's gotten the last word in like she's really like she's really sucker punched cisco and he does that great thing where he says that's the first mistake you've made (laughs) it's like it's like the exact same thing as like when that guy was trying to get into riker's head by saying i'm gonna fuck deanna troy what is lloyd Braun doing here (laughs) riker is like if she likes you and likes fucking you then that is a-okay by me i guess your mother was right you never could compete with Lloyd Braun. That was one of the best Riker moments, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is a great Cisco moment. He's saying like, hey, listen, 
we live with Bajorans here every day, and uh, we disagree with One of my best them. friends is a Bajoran. <laughs> <laughs> so it's cool if I say it. No, like, we disagree with them, and that's okay. We can work together and not always come down, come down on the exact same side of every issue. And I think that's a great and important message. Right. Bereal comes up to the station not long after this and and decides, like, now might be the time to talk to Vedic Wynn. Like, yeah. unchecked, her power might be a fire that we can't put out. So I'm going to... I'm going to put myself into the position to to be a cooling element to these hot tempers. And so he rolls up to Vedic Wynn's office, and she comes in with an ear grab, and he's like, nah, uh-uh. Nah, dog. <laughs> I don't have any quarters in this ear for you to pull out. Forget about it. He, he, he sort of does with her hand what everybody does with Michael Burnham in Discovery, which is keeps, keeps her away from Vulcan neck pinch range. Yeah. Yeah. She's always reaching for somebody's neck and and getting her hand her wrist grabbed and uh, same thing with Beryl and and Wynn. Keep your hands off my ears. Beryl is like, hey, I'm glad you're here and and talking as though you're not the cause of all this craziness. Like, why don't you and I go like join hand in hand and go make a Go make a statement about our common cause, which is peace and understanding. And it's it's really funny because it's like hand in hand, but the hand that he is holding is the same hand that she used to reach for his ear. And she's still <laughs> like got the like her her fingers in ear grab mode. <laughs> he's so, holding on to her claw. Yeah, he's really Aikidoed her in multiple ways here. <laughs> and so this starts to become like this this very tense rising action where O'Brien is on the case of who tried to jake a shuttlecraft and uh, has like put lockdowns on all the runabout pads. Um, we've got shots of Neela like walking through the crowd toward Beryl and Wynn. Surreal in the line of fire vibes going on here, I think. Yeah. With the cross cutting and the slow motion. Yeah. And uh, the commander joins them up on the up on the stage that I guess has been erected outside of the destroyed school i don't know why there's like this raised platform that they keep winding up on outside the school i don't feel like it was there before but um yeah neela pulls a a gun out of her engineering case and uh and we get a great like like o'brien tips off cisco right at the last moment o'brien puts it together and cisco gets a great slow motion no i mean he hits the mini tramp or the or the air ramp and yeah. really goes flying. Yeah, he does not get in himself in between the beam and Beryl, who is the target here. No, he's not willing to die for this. She licks off the first shot and just misses by a mile, <laughs> and, uh, and and really could have hit a bystander up on the second level. Yeah, yeah, those uh, those folks are really lucky that that stanchion was where it was. If I'm making this episode, it hits. An innocent, and then that person Wilhelm screams over the railing. <laughs> it's just more fun that way. Yeah, you got to get a Wilhelm scream in there if you can't, if you can uh, <laughs> afford it. This turns into a panic, and Cisco uh, and the security people grab Neela and take her off. And she's doing that thing as she's dragged off too. She's like, uh, 
I acted, I acted in the prophet's interest. Like, like she, she's like ranting. Yeah, on her, on her way to the cell. The the crowd is dispersing in fear, and and Wynne is trying to slink off, and Kira like grabs her by the arm, and she's like, "This was all a plan, wasn't it? Like you came up here to stir shit up to." like drive a wedge between the Bajorans and the Federation so that Barail would come up here. He did it all to kill him. To stop him from becoming Kai. And Wynne does not respond. She just like looks Kira in the eye and walks away. Like the the implication being like, I don't have to dignify that with a response, but also, yeah, it me. Pretty fucked up. I wish she would have responded. I wish she would have said something. Even just, I don't have to dignify that with a response would have been an interesting thing for her to say. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. Yeah, and in that way, the the close of the first season of Deep Space Nine ends with that and and just the the button on Kira. Kira gets the gavel for the end of the first season by sort of expressing like in the aftermath of everything, her feelings about her own faith and how they differ from, from those around her, not, not just on the station, but like in the religion that she prescribes to itself. Yeah. And that point she makes about how like all of the conflict in her life now seems to be with other Bajorans and like how to run things. And, uh, and like, you know, she's already been through like the worst thing in having ongoing daily conflict with the Cardassians. Like it's, it's a real weird feeling for her to be here now having to like take sides in these, in these new and totally different kinds of fights. I haven't watched, I mean... I don't think it'll surprise anyone who's just jumping into the show with us to know that I don't really remember much of Deep Space Nine and I did not complete watching it when it was on TV. But I wonder if Kira's deal is that she is just attracted to conflict or that conflict surrounds her forever. Like, will she ever find peace? Will she ever be a character who develops uh, deep relationships that that give her some gratification, you know, that, that make her happy because the story about her in season one is that she's not, she's deeply unhappy and she finds conflict everywhere and, and she's in the middle of it. And she's very wounded by what she's been through. Yeah. But I think like the, it ends on a hopeful note, right? Like she, she tells Cisco that he's not the devil and that's, (laughs) you know, like Most a, episodes end with Kira apologizing to Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> That's like enough. the big city apology, the the Kira apology. Mm-hmm. Well, did you like this episode, Adam? Um, no, I didn't. I I want to answer that two ways. Like, I did not like this episode because of how transparent its investigation was. Like, that was not exciting. The reveal was not surprising. And that was disappointing to me. I feel like the show can has done a better job in obscuring who the enemy is for longer than this one. Yeah. Um, 
the implications of a religious conflict among the Bajoran people interests me greatly, and I imagine this is going to be a story arc that goes and goes and goes for the rest of it. But for an interesting arc to be beginning in this way, it doesn't give me a ton of hope in how something like that might be resolved. What about you? It's an episode that I really want to like, and there's a lot that I like about it. I think Louise Fletcher is a great villain and pretty well established here and really a complex character. You know, she's a, she is a true believer, but also willing to go to great and to some extent self-compromising lengths for power. I doubt as a true believer, she thinks murder is okay, but she was kind of a party to an attempted murder here. And I guess she was in a par- she was a party to a real murder in the Starfleet officer that disappears, um, which is like, you know, like I, I, I guess not a terribly unusual idea for a religious extremist character, but, um, you know, but it's something that's pretty interesting about her. I, I, th- I feel like the the misstep is that it's about Keiko and the school, which is just something that like really hasn't been established as anything, and isn't like isn't something that we are that invested in. Like, I wish her conflict had been more directly with Cisco or you know with dax or something somebody like somebody like right you know like the science officer would have been interesting or what if she'd come to the station to like advocate for like locking down the wormhole and only allowing bajorans into it or something yeah i agree there's an element of the conflict that that feels like it's missing here and i would have preferred that told in a different way too one place that you and i are totally in agreement on is is the louise fletcher thing like if you if you want someone to be like, she's not evil. I mean, well, <laughs> I guess she has to be evil because she, she ordered a terrorist attack, but like there's, if what you're trying to do is cast someone as someone with supreme confidence in their point of view, irrespective of whether or not that point of view uh, is bad yeah. Or evil, like the person who plays Nurse Ratchet is that person. Like yep. she had almost identical intentions in that film. Right. So, nice casting. Nice casting, really nice performance, and I'm glad that character is here cuz she's an interesting character. Well, I'm glad uh Priority One messages are here, Ben. You want to see if we have any of those? It's a it's a one of my favorite segments. <laughs> that almost sounded like a Super Mario. It's yeah. a one of my favorite segments. <laughs> the same thing. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Daniel of the long last name. <laughs> it is for the Daniel knows that we are bad at pronouncing names. Yeah, thanks, Daniel. <laughs> it is for the incomparable Zoe, alias Rivka. Message goes like this. Dear Zoe, thanks for getting me into the greatest generation and a belated happy birthday. You know how much these things cost, so just imagine... 
what other great gifts you could have gotten if I hadn't <laughs> ordered a P1. <laughs> ben and Adam may never understand our love of holodeck episodes, but they understand our love of Major Kira, and that's almost enough. Happy birthday, Zoe. Oh, uh, how very sweet. Yeah, I'll never understand your love of holodeck episodes. That that shit is whack. <laughs> Um, yeah, a little rude to give a gift that the other person knows the price of, but I guess... <laughs> yeah, you, uh, gotta, you gotta scratch the price tag off of your P1 there, Daniel. Come on. <laughs> give me a break. Yeah. Adam, our next Priority One message is for Friends of DeSoto Everywhere, and it is from Sarah Crow, Sam Trigar, and Daniel Weir. And it goes like this. Are you suffering from plevimitis? Plevimitis is a serious medical condition. If you like plevim, consult your doctor immediately. Three out of five Facebook TGG mods recommends hashtag rascals to tell those plevimophiles to go fuck themselves. Mm-hmm. Ask your doctor if hashtag rascals is right for you. <laughs> I feel like we should have gotten the huge laundry list of potential side effects of hashtag rascals. Yeah. What do you think those But maybe are? they ran out of 350 characters and they figured that they would defy the FDA regulations on that. wonder when we're going to get a P1 that's just a bit.ly link <laughs> <laughs> to an essay by or for the rascals. Right. I feel like these are, this is a, this is just the, the Facebook mods that are rascals writing this yeah. one. Is that, is that your interpretation? That is. Yeah, that's what I'm getting from this. Hey, well, thank you for supporting the show, but also thank you for moderating the Facebook. Yeah. That Facebook group is uniquely chill for a Facebook group. Like, the, the mods and the admin do a great job of keeping, keeping it from being a nasty bad place the internet is a horror show and (laughs) uh i have an unhealthy relationship with it and that is one of the bright and good places uh so i'm i sure am grateful for that corner of the internet uh if you are interested in sending a priority one message to someone you love or a priority one message about a business interest you have you can go to maximumfund.org slash jobotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200 and they are one of the great and primary ways to help the ongoing production of this program true dad One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. 
Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! We got a time Shimoda, Ben. Oh, Time boy. Shimoda. <laughs> Cue it up. So there's the scene where uh, the uh, the in the line of fire scene happens. Yeah. Neela, Neela has raised her no. weapon. Cisco has hit the air ramp. Uh, let us scroll all the way to 4135. This is in the aftermath of, of shit going down. Uh, there's a guy like watching the scrum, like watching Neela getting dragged away. A guy in a green turtleneck. And he is clearly <laughs> the guy who just saw something major. And he's like, holy shit, I was there. And he like points at, my, at himself. He's like, I was there. Me. And he like walks, he walks right behind Cisco and Kira. And he's like, I was there. I was so wow. close. I saw that. That guy that. really Did crosses you see the whole frame. Yeah. And like, 
anyone who is a part of a thing never points at themselves. <laughs> like the whole point at himself is the Shimoda of this of yeah. this moment. It's so dumb. This is about me. <laughs> <laughs> who has who has an index finger and who just witnessed an assassination? This guy. <laughs> sure it is, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's my Shimoda. Who's yours, Ben? My Shimoda in this episode is Morn. Uh, Morn is a, in a couple of funny places in this episode, but the funniest place is when uh, Vedic Brahil shows up on Deep Space Nine. It's like it's like a big, exciting moment for the public when he is getting off of his ship, and Morn is among the people that are really like that are like they're greeting him at the airlock, pumped <laughs> to see him. And I just love the idea that Morn is like a big Vedic Burial fan. <laughs> Everyone likes a parade, you know? And He's I the think, first person Burial shakes hands with. I think Morn's that kind of guy. Like, yeah. Morn, Morn just wants to go where the action is. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty he wants great. To, he wants that hammer to, to be made available to anybody that wants it. Ben, what's coming up on the first episode of season two of Deep Space Nine? The first episode of season two is season two, episode one, The Homecoming, part one. Kira risks her life and war with the Cardassian with the Cardassians to rescue a mythical Bajora hero from a distant prison colony. All right. Well, I guess this is the moment where we stop the pod. Adam, we cut the tape and we came back. And we have a board game. Against all odds, we actually came up with a board game here. This is actually far more difficult than... Actually, this was as difficult as I thought as I thought it would be. <laughs> no joke. <laughs> uh, I think uh, this will be visible to people on the internet. So, what do you say? Gach.biz slash game? If you want to look at this thing? That's easy to remember. G-A-G-H dot biz slash game. So what this is, is it's loosely based on the ancient Indian board game of Snakes and Ladders. And it's uh, it's the game of buttholes, the will of the prophets. So there's a number of space buttholes on this board that can move our, move our game piece back to a different place. Uh, there's no cheating and advancing like in uh, Snakes and Ladders, but uh, several of the Several of the game tiles have different mechanics on them. And the most abundant mechanic on this board is Quark's Bar, which is, uh, you know, if we land on that, we record the episode while drinking to probable excess. Now, we also have several other uh, mechanics available for random chance. Do you want to go through those, Adam? Yeah, in addition to the Quark's Bar tile, uh, we have... Coco Nono, which is a special tiki thing, a special tiki themed drunk episode, Ben. I, I imagine that this is just a variation of Quark's Bar. In yeah. That, in that we're it's making Quark's tiki Bar, but we make a, we, we, ha, we both have a coconut. I think Ann Kilzer sent us coconuts. Yeah. So we got to make a, we got to make a Coco Nono. All right. And, uh, and drink a bunch of those. I'd say have a pitcher at the ready because you're going to drink several over the course of such an episode. I love that pitcher format. 
Yeah. Another uh, possibility we have is Starship Mine, which is one that was suggested on the Reddit, which we both thought was really funny, which is build a spaceship model while recording. So I guess we each have to like order a <laughs> a plastic model kit and be building it while we're making an episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking this maybe we can uh, auction those off on eBay for charity or something once they're done. <laughs> yeah, um, a thing that I'm sure zero people will want. <laughs> We've caught in the nebula. That's a an episode we record where we prevent ourselves from taking down any notes while watching the episode and just try and do it from memory. Yeah, that'll be great, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Uh, it's it's equal and opposing force on the game board is a tile called the nth degree which is uh, an episode recorded after having done extensive research on the episode. Oh, man. So, it, uh, that'll be the rare episode where it sounds like we're in the pocket of Big Rod. Right, exactly. We've got Measure of a Man, where uh, we each have to like pick a side and argue for it on, uh, on the episode. So we'll like flip a coin, and whatever the episode was, no matter what our actual opinion was, we have to like high school debate style defend or attack the episode okay i can do that (laughs) i can i can fraudulently give you an opinion uh for sport yeah uh there's also watch out for it uh the naked now (laughs) landing on the square will mean that uh you and i will record our episodes roderick style from inside a bathtub and uh, (laughs) i want to be Super clear about this. Separate bathtubs, separate yeah. states. <laughs> really want to make sure that we that we're efficient on that podcast recording, Ben, because I don't want to get those raisin fingers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the you know the the water can cool off. Can gotta yeah. gotta <laughs> really good. like cruise through those ones. Those are going to be shivery shimodas at the end. <laughs> and. Uh, We've got a square called Fuck It, We'll Do It Live, and we haven't quite worked this out, but I guess our idea here is we'll do webcam and, uh, you know, tell people ahead of time when we're going to do it, and we'll record the episode on a live stream so people can watch. Could be a disaster. Who knows? See how the fudge is packed. (laughs) That's a way of saying that. Uh, and that's it. These uh, all of these. I think we have one one last one, Adam. That's oh shoot! The the most important one in many ways. Right. Uh, tile number one hundred. The end of the road for us is called Mornhammered. Ben. The way we envision this is that the game will be in play for the rest of our run on Deep Deep Space Nine. But anytime we get to tile one hundred, what happens, Adam? That is a power hour episode, Ben, and. Uh, if you don't know what a power hour is, that is 60 shots of beer in 60 minutes, and that's about the time of, a, of one of our podcast episodes. So that links up real nice. It will present an interesting editing challenge as well because, you know, usually usually we edit a bunch. <laughs> God, we might want to turn that into a fuck it, we'll do it live, huh? <laughs> We'll see. We'll see. We've taken great care to spread these uh, these tiles around because um, I know you and I both talked a lot about not fucking with the show too much. 
You know, right. I, the show, we love the show pretty much as is. We want these special tiles to be special occasions and not every week things. So that's yeah. where we're approaching this from. If there, there are a number of wormholes where we can get caught and go into, into a tile that has a thing on it. But most, like the vast majority of the tiles are empty and will be regular episodes. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this new thing, Adam. Should we roll them bones and see what we got? Now's as good a time as any. <laughs> We're starting on tile one, and I rolled a one, so we are moving on to tile two, which is a quirks bar. Drink! It's the antidote! Fuck! <laughs> I got stuff to do today, man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> God. Oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> well, thanks, Ben, for for mostly designing this board game on your own. Also, want to thank Dark Materia for our theme music and Adam Ragusia for all the rest of our great music here on the show. If you'd like to support the show and uh, stock the fridge, your, yeah, and stock the fridge because this is gonna this is definitely gonna affect the bottom line. Go to maximumfund.org/slash/donate. Uh, and uh, you can also support the show for free by recommending it to your friends and going on your podcasting service of choice and giving us a nice review. That is uh, always appreciated. So with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which drunkenly goes behind enemy lines. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.